Then put your little hand in mine There ain't no hill or mountain we can't climb Welcome to Groundhog Minute the podcast where we celebrate the 1993 classic Groundhog Day, one repetitive minute at a time. I'm your host, Sean. And I'm your other host, Dave. And joining us today, we have special guests Rick and Julia of the Mad Max Minute. Welcome. Well, hello, guys. Thank you so much for having us. This is exciting. I absolutely adore this movie, so I'm very pleased to talk about it. Awesome. Yeah, thanks for, for stopping by. Looking forward to it. Uh, yeah, so welcome to the show. We've we've asked you here today to talk about Minute 61. So Dave, what's what's going on? Minute 61. Well, Phil Connors walks over to, I believe it's Buster's pickup here, and he just drives off with Punks of Tony Phil, and the town goes wild, and the race is on to catch the Phils. Yeah, so this is uh, action-packed, exciting car chase week here at Groundhog Minute. And we start off with a couple of the Groundhog officials kind of playing up to Phil and, and packing him away for uh, for the year. And I noticed the little uh, the little traveling case that that little Phil is in <laughs> it says traveling forecasts. Jeez, these guys are losers. <laughs> <laughs> Delusional losers. <laughs> yeah. Oh, he, he, he looked right at me. Yeah. I, he knows me. <laughs> yeah, he, he smiled at me. It's with the, they got huge teeth. They're always smiling. These but. these these guys like placate to each other so well. They just <laughs> these two guys. They got their silly hats, and they just they each drink each other's just Kool Aid of just nonsense. Yeah, yeah. They're 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 always on. It's like nobody's the ceremony's over. No one's watching. <laughs> but oh no, they're still. Oh, he talks. He smiled at me. Did you see? Yeah, it's. Uh, <laughs> And then in uh, in the background, we get we can see uh, Rita watching Phil as he's walking towards the. Um, would this count as a Ute? This uh, this vehicle in uh, well, in Mad Max par- parlance. I mean, if Punxsutawney was in Australia, then absolutely, this would totally be a Ute. Um, I don't know if they would want us to borrow their slang, though. They're pretty protective of okay. those All little right. things. Uh, but this, oh yeah, if uh, if <laughs> Phil and all of these officials were in Australia, and instead of a groundhog, it was like a wallaby or something like that. Oh, this would absolutely be a Ute. Hmm. Okay. I have to wonder though, would would a Groundhog Day type celebration even work in Australia because it's so typically sunny all the time? Not to <laughs> cast the entire continent in one broad swath of paint, but. It's essentially always sunny there, so every year the groundhog would come out, see its shadow, and they'd be like, "Oh, crikey! Six more weeks! Six more weeks of winter! Blimey!" <laughs> yeah, what does it matter? <laughs> well, it's the same thing here in the United States. We have many, many, many different bio zones, mm-hmm. yeah. and we bring it all down to this one town in Pennsylvania. Whether or not we're gonna have six more weeks of winter. <laughs> That's ridiculous. So, I mean, as long as Buster and the other official are keep t- taking it seriously, they can have they can have enough enthusiasm to cover everybody. Yeah, pretty much. I'm guessing. Yeah, I'm, I'm guessing Groundhog's Day doesn't have the same meaning uh, like in San Diego as it does <laughs> for the folks in Pennsylvania. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I love the visual 
of Phil walking towards this pickup truck because he reminds me of a horror movie that came out a little bit ago. I think it's called It Follows. Yes! (laughs) (laughs) There's no exaggerated movement to Phil. He's just walking slowly with purpose towards this pickup truck. It's like the groundhog got the It curse and now Phil is coming to collect on that curse. (laughs) Oh, man. It kind of explains Larry's statement later on in this minute <laughs> as to why the It monster is following Exotati <laughs> film. Oh, I... <laughs> I, well, I, I think that says more about Larry and and you, Rick, than it than it, than it says about <laughs> Phil that you make that connection. But yeah, this is, and it's one of those things that I didn't notice it the first few times watching the movie because the the focus is on is on Phil and the officials they're they're ta- you know they're chatting and then um, putting Phil and his little carrier in the uh, in the truck but yeah just silently slowly methodically pacing towards us in the background is an, is an awful looking Phil um, you know he's past the point he's not showering he's not shaving in the morning he's not getting dressed up for the broadcast anymore and yeah it just he he's following it follows. <laughs> And of course, Rita's in the background just watching him go because he basically said goodbye to her and then started walking away. And it's like, how do you react to that? Yeah, she yeah she only knows him for uh, like what maybe we we talked talk about five six hours at most. Yes, mm-hmm. on her previous day, on her previous day, she at the, from the station to driving up there to getting into town that's all she knows him from and he's just like we had a beautiful day, get, day together she's like in the van they call that a beautiful day all you do is complain about the network and like blood sausage <laughs> and you didn't want to eat dinner with us i don't even know what we're talking about but uh um i want to know all right so we call this guy creepy guy because he had the creepiest smile up on the stage yeah so, the the creepy groundhog official and i think this cements it like when he's the, that smile he's giving phil i mean if anything, he should be worried of what Phil looks like, you know, from his perspective. But man, I'm like, nah, something's up with this guy. Yeah, this guy, he's got some skeletons in the closet. I know it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking Phil's a little relief. Phil the groundhog is like, I don't know where this guy's taking me, but it's got to <laughs> be better <laughs> than what that other guy was going to do. <laughs> that guy's probably got a giant hole in his basement. Yeah, he keeps up to Tony Phil. <laughs> Oh, and then we got um uh what Buster right? Am Buster. I right? Yeah, mm-hmm. he's talking to the to the young kid. Um, now my question is, do you think that young kid is trying to proposition Buster of like how can I get on the council? Like that's what I was curious of, like what this what this talk is about. Oh now, yeah, this yeah. Is the young kid that's gonna get married today. Is that this young kid? No, I don't think we see this guy again. I mean, we we do. He he ends up in the car on the chase with Buster, but I don't know if we see him in any other scenes in the movie. No, he's yeah, this not, is. I don't think he's getting married. That's we saw that was Michael Shannon, and I believe it was a tall guy in a hat who was the the king part of the king and queen on the stage with the groundhog earlier in the film. Yeah. So I honestly, it's just this is just some new kid who's just. Him and Buster outside of the um, outside of Gobbler's Knob always have this conversation about something. But I yeah, I kind of buy that. Yeah, he's a he's a groundhog groupie and he's chatting up Buster, who's sort of the head official to be like, you know, how can I get up on stage next year? 
I mean, that is a good question. Like, how do you get into the inner circle, the Groundhog Illuminati? Yeah, it's all older <laughs> white guys. It's like, how that? do you... Yeah. Well, in that case, the probably the first two stipulations are A, old, B, white. <laughs> yeah. And C, has a giant hole in the basement where they keep a Groundhog. <laughs> oh, no! <laughs> Yeah, I'm picturing like the the fraternity scene with Kevin Bacon in Animal House. <laughs> There's a lot of paddling and and you know, thank you, sir. May I have another six weeks kind of thing. Yeah, Something <laughs> involved in uh, all that skull and bones talk. They they always say that like all those guys do. Oh yeah, yeah. But I I do think it could be it could be just men who are of the town council. Like it's like you already have like maybe you're a local businessman who donates a lot of time and thing to the counts so it's like you know it's almost kind of like the money's going in full circle you donate <laughs> to the town the town gives the money back to the groundhog council then you spend it on this then you know and you make sure that certain pockets are lined for other business it's like this you know this this bs <laughs> circle of money you know man the money man is go anywhere man it's all going to their pockets See, now I just want them to be like the Shadow Council in the movie Hot Fuzz. Hell yeah. Yeah. I want them to get <laughs> yes. together and yeah. wear robes, but the robes have like a stuffed groundhog at the top of them. <laughs> I, I, I want the robe, but I smell like with the top hat on top of a robe. Like the top hats are always on. That's even better. <laughs> it's a robe with a top hat on top. Oh. The greater good. <laughs> yeah, so the greater good of the, of, the, of the groundhog. Greater good of the groundhog. Uh, so, yeah, now Phil just gets right in, and I guess, yeah, keys were left in the ignition because he, he no, there's no hot wiring. He just turns the key and, and runs. He's just in and gone. And I love the, the reaction from Buster. This is some of the greatest movie running that perhaps I've ever seen. Like his his feet are sort of outturned. He's a little pigeon-toed. The arms are flailing as he first runs after the Ute and then turns towards the cop that's across the street. Um, but there's not... There's, there's a little... I think there's a hint that this has happened before. That, like, you know, just... This is not the first time someone's gotten fed up with little Phil there. Mm. I almost... I think there's sort of an implied... You know, hey, they they kidnapped Phil again. Somebody kidnapped Phil like, oh, no, this again. (laughs) Phil's probably usually kidnapped by some sort of kid, some kid who from the high school who wants to cause trouble. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Some kind of school prank thing. Maybe like maybe like the the, the rival school. Yeah. The rival Punxsutawney. Yeah. Good idea. The the rival high school stealing the Punxsutawney mascot kind of thing. Yeah. Because that would be a Zach Morris thing to do. He was in the rival town. Yeah, the Bayside. So si- a- uh, yeah, the Bayside uh, version of, of, of Western Pennsylvania is totally doing this. Yeah, that's... I like the I like the reference to Zach Morris because Zach Morris is another character who maybe isn't trapped by time, but he has the ability to control time in small amounts. Oh yes, time out. What do we got here? This groundhog, you know. <laughs> oh, and, and like <laughs> Slater in the diner, sitting backwards on the chair, you know. Can you imagine a showdown between Phil Connors and Zach Morris? Like, Phil Connors knows what's going to happen because he's already lived it a million times, but Zach Morris still has the ability to freeze time for small amounts. So he'll go to freeze time, but Phil already knows what's going to happen during the frozen time, and so he pops out of it and instantly reacts, and it's this whole knockout, drag out, you know, 
nothing actually happening. Exactly. <laughs> time freezes and then repeats itself. They're constantly going back and forth, encountering each other. I I don't I don't. All right. Uh, I I've never watched it, but this is as close as I guess we're going to get to the American Doctor Who. <laughs> right these are the, what those doctor who guys do they like they like manipulate space and time and and, and stuff i don't know <laughs> but i'm guessing that's that's our closest representation is you have phil and, and zag mars duel the fates although if you want to get specific i think the american version of doctor who is bill and ted Ooh, now that's a yeah that's good mm. I, I mean, like it's that. a it's a phone booth and right. not a phone box and it's definitely not bigger on the inside but I guess that's how you would add extra flavor text to the Phil Connors, Zach Morris showdown is you throw in Bill and Ted coming in from the side hatch, <clears> and then it's a real knockdown drag out oh situation. God, you're making the movie. <laughs> I mean, I know they're making, they are making a part three of Bill and Ted, but man, I would love to read that comic. Just, just make it a comic at least. Like it needs, <laughs> the story needs to be told. Yeah. Oh my goodness. But all right. So yeah, so I, I do agree with you, Sean, about that. Phil has been taken before, maybe in the 70s or 80s, some some commie groupie try to do it, you know, try to, like, <laughs> take out Phil, like, you know, somebody try to shoot Reagan, you know, somebody, because they saw it, and, you know, they read it in a book that that's what they had to do, and, you know, somebody try to summer a Sam Groundhog back in the, the 70s or 80s or something, because you read Catch on the Rye the wrong way or something. <laughs> <laughs> I know when read Catch on the Rye wrong, they're capturing the Groundhog. They think we're all phonies. We got to go after them. Phonies, right. yeah. Since we're doing crossovers, you could have Bucky wake up inside of a giant glass box, and then they read off the the Russian phrases. <laughs> he gets activated, goes to Punxsutawney, tries to steal the groundhog. <laughs> yeah. Rope this into the Marvel Cinematic oh, Universe. Like, yeah. <laughs> That'd be pretty good. Oh, uh, yeah. Sell code words. Blood sausage. <laughs> Blood sausage. <laughs> That's the code word. It just goes off. Oh man! But I, I do like this. It almost sounds like um, like almost like a lynch mob mentality. Like we're going after them. Like we're getting the guys together. We're getting the shotguns. <laughs> we're going after this. So crazy. Yeah. Get the word out. Yeah. We're going after him. A, a creepy guy. He's doing this like as if he was like in the the at uh, the end race of Greece. Where he's like, go, go, go! <laughs> the middle of the street. And everyone's just watching, like, well, what's going on? Yeah. I say, the word has not yet gotten out as to why everyone is flailing. Yeah. That's what. That's why they need to cop to get on the radio. Let everybody know. <laughs> get on the radio. All units. Um, all right, so now I, I, I want to cut back. So now I want to cut back to Larry and Rita in the van. So yeah, this is as I said, this is Rita's second day with Phil. First day, he's just being salty and aggravated about the newscast about going back to this town, and I'm guessing she's wondering what happened to Phil between when they left him at the bed and breakfast and now the next day. Because I don't want to eat with you guys. You guys, Phil, Larry's such a mess. Ooh, and next day she sees him, he's like, "I gotta stop the groundhog." <laughs> Like, what did you, what did you eat for dinner, Bill? What, what's, but, I mean, Larry's just not shocked. He's more like, oh, wow, something something way better than Groundhog Day here. Ooh, he got ourselves a chase. Yeah, Larry's a little bit into the into the excitement, and then a little bit, there's a little of, um, 
maybe he's you know maybe he's thinking about there's maybe there was an office pool around the station over you know when does phil finally crack oh when does he go nuts and like larry's thinking well gee did i have february 2nd in the pool like what square did i have for uh for phil finally cracking so he's you know a little bit excited but not entirely surprised yeah i i mean he's probably so happy because it's probably some like I, I i'll bring up more in the next minute but like it's just he's got this like almost like this validation in the back of his head that like he always knew that, that, that phil connors was a butthead and like he was yeah he was like not right in the head because he was so just you know angry about everything and to be there like be the first person to go to capture the the footage of phil connors going crazy he's gonna go back to pittsburgh with this like golden tape like you won't believe who got arrested who went crazy in this you know <laughs> yeah and we'll certainly see more of that from larry uh in the in the coming minutes this week uh i do want to say so one thing going back well not one thing but going back to the original screenplay the first version as written by danny rubin did not have this car chase and actually originally uh he had phil the groundhog being kept in a cage in the punxsutawney library and he has a scene where uh phil connor has a shotgun and and smoke bombs and he's um, he's he's stalking up to Gobbler's Knob to the the stump where we see Phil come out of, and his plan is to throw the smoke bombs and to smoke out the groundhog, and then shoot him. And then there's there's a woman casually walks by and just says to Phil, "He ain't there," and Phil kind of tries to shrug it off, and then she goes, uh, "He ain't coming out. He don't live there. They keep him in the library." <laughs> and then so Phil, you know, kind of droops his gun and he begins to walk off. And then the woman calls after him and says, plug him once for me. <laughs> so, <laughs> so wow. yeah, apparently there's the, the, the apparently uh, there's more people than just Phil Connor in this town who are sick of uh, that damn groundhog. And then there's and then later they show him uh, going through the library and, and trying to shoot the, the groundhog there. And then, so that was the kind of the, the first draft. And then later, uh, later they change it to this, um, this car chase for the kidnapping, which did, I think works a lot better. Did he like watch like They Live like the night before? <laughs> and he's like, oh yeah, what if he goes full Roddy Roddy Piper, just shoots everybody. And then he just, he sees Buster and he's like, mama don't like tattletales. Oh, he walks into the library and he's like, I'm here to report the weather and chew bubblegum. Yeah. And I'm all out of bubblegum. Yeah, that's exactly what it feels like. Just walk around town with a shotgun and no one's like batting an eye. God, that's so weird. Yeah. And then, uh, so one other thing from that original script I want to throw in. So as we've mentioned before, the the original screenplay had a lot of voiceover from... Uh, from Phil Connor. And one of the things we've talked about is for different things that Phil has, different outfits or vehicles, and um, in this case, a shotgun would be when and where does Phil get these things? And so part of the original voiceover was Phil Connor saying, uh, you may ask why I didn't shoot Phil out on Gobbler's Knob at dawn, but the gun shop doesn't open at dawn. 
so he actually, yeah, so the, the original screenplay actually had Phil addressing that, saying, well, he had to wait for for the sports, you know, the sporting goods shop to open before he could buy the gun. Because obviously, yeah, he would know exactly where Phil was going to be at 7 a.m., just he wouldn't have a gun at 7 a.m. God, I hate this. I hate this voiceover in the original draft. I honestly hate it. Yeah, I, it's, I mean, it's like it's Blade Runner bad. <laughs> just like explains <laughs> explains stuff whether you want to or not, and just doesn't let a scene exist on its own. He's like, let me explain how this scene's going. Like, dude, let me watch. Yeah, and I think part of it is this is this is very early in in Ruben's screenwriting career, and maybe it's just a sign of. Uh, insecurity he doesn't know to trust the audience in terms of what they're going to figure out he doesn't know how much he can trust the director in terms of what can be communicated but i think this was the i think i think ramus refers to it like this is one of the first things he did one of the first changes he made and one of the best moves was just strip all that voiceover stuff out here's um, a fun question has bill murray ever done a narration because i can't see it in my head like i'm trying to envision like how Billy Mary would narrate whether it be a kids movie or a comedy, mm-hmm. but I can't I can't see it happening. Well, see now I'm wondering if he ever did like a audiobook or something. Mm. That would be good. I mean, he's done he has done animation, right? Where he's done that voiceover, which isn't the same as a narration. Yeah, because na- yeah, narration it's like this. You know, you don't change your reflection. You're mo- you're calm and you're you know. Damn, explaining stuff. Whereas the character is obviously going to act with the other characters, so it's just that's just something it's hard, you know, to imagine Bill Murray because he's probably you. You imagine how he would deliver these lines in this weird, like almost like flat, like almost like Peter Venkman flat, where he doesn't, you know, mm-hmm. he just kind of like he's, he's almost monotone. It's yeah, it's just weird. If, and you know, imagining that voice narrating Groundhog Day, yeah, it's just odd. Um. Yeah. So, all right. What yeah? What else do you have for right before we start the chase? Anything else we want to talk about while we're in the cab with Rita and Larry? Well, I think you mentioned this earlier, but the fact that Larry says what he does, you know, I could probably think of a couple of reasons, <laughs> and then he punctuates that with the word pervert. I mean, still feels to me like it says more about Larry than it does about Phil. Maybe. I think is that Larry is looking for the easiest answer to make sense of Phil. Because, you know, when they drive up, you know, he says to Phil, like, I don't know. This is a fine gig. You're, you're, you're whining about, I believe, is nothing. You have an easy gig in, 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 in Pittsburgh. So maybe he's like, what is it? What is he wants to find the, the weakness in Phil. So maybe he's more excited to be like, oh, yeah, that's right. He touches animals. He's a pervert. Okay, great. Like, it's like he has this, like. It's like for him that 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 in his mind that piece fills out the puzzle of like ah that's it that's what uh, that's what's weird about Phil like he's into himself because he likes to yeah molest animals okay great like he's like it's almost excited that you almost like oh I have an answer now it makes I figured I Phil I figured Phil Connors out that's how I see it as like he's he's happy to like leave it leave it like that like I have to give a thing he's a pervert ah got him. <laughs> Maybe it's just like the the newsman and Larry oh, looking true. for the sensational. Well, maybe news isn't the right um, 
right term because he's not necessarily digging for the facts, but he's looking for the sensational angle because, yeah, I mean, in a way, this kind of calls back to the original Phil again, going, you know, going back to the, the screenplay. Phil was originally written as a little bit more of a ladies man. And obviously we, we see him with Nancy and he's got his date going to the movies and that kind of stuff. But originally, uh, well, one thing, originally the curse was he had an office fling and it was a woman at the station that he had broken up with who mm. puts the curse on Phil. And that's why this whole thing is happening. And then there's also, um, I don't know if it was the original Danny Rubin script or this might have been in later, one of the later revisions that. Uh, Ramus worked on with Ruben, but there's at least one version of the script where in in one of the scenes of Phil trying to seduce Rita and getting close to her, where she says something like, I've heard about you, all the women at the station kind of talk about how you're always hitting on everyone. Um, mm. So there's a little bit and, and, you know, so there's that little side of Phil that gets cut out of the movie, although we do get some hints of it. But then so I think Larry's kind of it's a little bit of callback or a little bit of reference to Phil being a little bit more I guess having more of a reputation. Certainly we see him kind of do his thing here in Punxsutawney, but there's you know there isn't any other mention of him having a previous reputation. So maybe that's just a little bit of a a reference to that bit. But uh yeah, I yeah. I mean that's not where my mind would go. Of of someone kidnapping a groundhog, uh, right. you know, unless they have a history um, of that sort of thing. And I mean, based on the several scenes that we saw leading up to this moment, we know that Phil doesn't have a thing for groundhogs. <laughs> well, yeah, he's not like oh, this he's not. Yeah, he's he's not fetishizing fetishizing this creature the way that creepy official. <laughs> was um you know he he just came off of uh you know this he's he's got to be stopped and i have to stop him that doesn't sound like there's any romantic intent <laughs> behind that you know that's from the, the previous minute from minute 60 so uh right. yeah is it funny that phil is going after the groundhog before he goes out goes after anyone like mrs lancaster or the bartender yeah, well, I think that's part of the spell that you don't you don't know where the spell is coming from. It's it's all about misdirection and confusion. Um, yeah, you don't obviously. know who to target because of the cloaking aspect of the spell. Ooh, that's devious. Ooh, yeah, it's a little bit of catch twenty two. You you can't you can't fight the person who's putting a spell on you because they're putting a spell on you. Um, yeah, because it, it's weird. Like it is an odd, and I can't imagine what kind of frame of mind I would be in if I was repeating the same day uh, thousands of times. But why blame the groundhog? I think the groundhog is as much a victim in all of this as Phil. <laughs> He's just like I'm, just hanging out, and then these guys in these weird top hats stuff me in this, you know, this stump. And then pull me out of the stump and hold me up in front of the crowd. And, like, I just want to eat grass and, and waddle around and do my groundhog thing. So, yeah. 
The whole lore surrounding Groundhog Day is supernatural, so maybe it's not just a festival day, maybe it's real. Maybe the Groundhog really is supernatural, really can tell the weather, and really can put a spell on Phil. I, yeah, no, I think I, in this in this moment, yeah, Phil definitely believes uh, Groundhog is behind it, and I'm still debating, I've been sitting here debating if does he knows he needs to kill the groundhog but i'm curious if he knows does he need to die with it like he's like if i just kill the groundhog the day may reset i have to die with him and then i'll be able to be free or i'll just die and that'll be the end of it well i don't think phil has ever tried dying before no he's not tried it um so this is the <laughs> grand experiment yeah yeah i mean this is this is a major turning point in the movie and in Phil's existence, where he has finally cracked this repetition, has finally got to him. He's, you know, he's eaten all the pastries that he could eat. He's gone on all the dates that he could date. He's seduced all the women in town and all the excesses and the fast living uh, hasn't made him any happier. And it certainly hasn't cured him of this time affliction. And he's 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 cracking. I mean, there's there's something wrong with with Phil. <laughs> Obviously, um, yeah. And so we we kind of end up the last third or so of this minute is 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 car chasing or vehicle chasing, and we see we've got the um, the Chevy pickup or Ute mm-hmm. as they may say down under, which is it's a seventy one or seventy two. Um, Chevrolet and then we've actually got there's a little bit of um, maybe a continuity error so this chase is there's three vehicles that uh, chase Phil there's a cop car there's um, an Oldsmobile 88 Royale which is the vehicle that Buster and our uh, our other uh, denim clad man is, is driving in and a police car now, when they first, when Buster first calls to the the cop in the police car that's across the street, we can see um, there's there's clearly a hood ornament, and the importance of that is so we've earlier when we the the first car chase that we had in the movie, we identified there were two different models of car that the Punxsutawney police drive. There's a 1980 Chevy Caprice Classic. And the 81 Chevy Impala. And we know, or at least the, the way I distinguish them, is the Caprice has a hood ornament and the Impala does not. Hmm. And when we see, you know, when, when Buster just yells across the street and the, the cop is getting into the car, there is, there is a hood ornament. So that is the Caprice Classic. But then... Later, I think it's around second fifty-two, fifty-three, where they're kind of coming around the corner, passing the the gas pump. Yeah, it's right at, at second fifty-four. Oh. There is clearly no hood ornament on that car. That's mm-hmm. the Chevy Impala. Yeah, Ooh. why is that change? That is so weird. Mm-hmm. Why no one on the in the production, you know, marked that this is the car that's being used in the chase. Well, yeah, because the other three vehicles are the same. It's the same van that yeah. Rita and Larry are in. It's the same Oldsmobile 88 that Buster is in, and clearly the same pickup that Phil is driving. But the cop car switches, and I, um, we'll see in a, in a few in, in 
next minute. And then I think it switches back. I think when they get to the quarry, the Hone Ornament's back. That it's back to the Caprice. Was this a pickup shot later? Like, that's the only thing I gave is that this was filmed. I mean, clearly, like, the sky's a little bit different right now. It's a little bit grayer in this moment than it is. Yeah, it does get awfully gray versus it's pretty blue sky when they first pick up, I think. It's it's so. hard. It goes from, like, different shades of gray. Um, you know, trying to keep it consistent. But, yeah, yeah. That's so it's it's that's like a little thing. It's like, come on, guys. Like, that was obvious. It's You know, how many cars did you really have on the lot that they... Did they not have that, you know, that car that day? Yeah. That it, um, uh, no, I shared in the Facebook uh, message group right now. Uh, this <laughs> is, I did a calculation on using Woodstock, Illinois' map, and I figured out <laughs> what I know so far of the chase. Um, okay. That okay. I could tell. Like, it's, it's a little tricky right now. I'm, mm-hmm. I don't, it's hard to figure out, like, you know, by second 49, all I know is there's a gas station and possibly an auto store on a road i don't know that could be anywhere right but at least i could tell from the railroad tracks what road uh phil took so he what Mm -hmm. i believe listeners is that he started he and he went he essentially did um 270 essentially went 270 around the the town center so he essentially just kept taking left 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 and and he comes down it was called benton street and in illinois and then he takes that left onto church Church Street turns into Washington Street. And like I said, we don't really know. I don't know after that, you know, what gas station I could have been in 1993. But it's definitely going out of town. Definitely taking that road Mm -hmm. would definitely take him out of town. I don't know where the quarry is, like hypothetically. But yeah, once you go about three more, four more blocks, the town kind of peters out into, into farmland. It makes me wonder if Phil already has a destination in mind or if he's just driving for the sake of driving, because we don't see exactly the full extent of how much exploration he's done here in Punxsutawney. Well, I, I like to think that there's a, there is stuff that we haven't seen, and maybe yeah, maybe one of it was him planning a route, or him... He at least knows area locations. He probably tried to see, maybe on one day, he did steal a car, and just to see how far he could get on his own before the blizzard hit. So that, yeah, that, so that, that brings up, I think, a good question... For, for everyone here. And, you know, we've seen, there's a lot of times we, the first time we see something is obviously not the first time Phil has been through it with this, this looping. Is this, yeah, is this the first time that he kidnaps Phil? And is it his first time that he gets to the quarry? I'm willing to believe that this is the first time he's stolen the hedgehog, but I do not believe it's the first time he's gone to the quarry. He might be just one of those people that enjoy driving around for the sake of driving around. I'm not that kind of person, but Julia is. Oh, yeah, definitely. If I were in Phil's position, I would know that town back to front by now. Mm -hmm. I would have figured out a way to get a vehicle, whether it be the news van or stealing something. And yeah, I would have learned the town by now. I think, have we seen yet the scene where Phil steals the money from the the bank truck? Yes. It's so hard yeah. to keep track of what has happened <laughs> yet and what hasn't. So that scene made it very clear that he had been observing day after day after day. He knew exactly what was going to happen and exactly when so that he could do this perfect crime. I imagine it's probably the same way with stealing the groundhog. He has observed and knows 
when the groundhog is going to be there, when one of the guys, when Buster is going to be distracted and the perfect moment for him to walk up and have the best access to the truck. So I think he's been contemplating doing this for mm-hmm. some time. Yeah, I, I agree. I think it's a combination of there's a lot of different things that he's done or observed before, but this sequence of events is new. That yeah, he so he's observed because he just like the the bank robbery, or the uh, the yeah the robbery from the armored car that he's got the timing just right. He knows when the groundhog is in the truck, but the creepy official is still on the other side of the cab so that he can get into the driver's side and drive away without too much And he knew the keys were going to be in there. Yeah. So he certainly observed that. And yeah, I could see him just through boredom, killing time or curiosity, just kind of tooling around, driving around the area. That's something I would do. I'm that kind of person too. When I'm in a new area, I'll just drive around and get lost and then find my way back home again, which is, which is a lot easier to do now that we have GPS, at least the finding your way back home. But yeah, that's something I would, I would do for a few thousand years, as long as everything's repeating is just, yeah, wander the area by vehicle to, to learn the roads and whatnot. So yeah, I guess he, he, I would think he knows where the quarry is. So he knows where he's heading and he certainly kind of timed things out for the actual, um, heist or the actual, you know, groundhog napping, but then the ending, because that seems to be that crosses a line. And well, I don't want to get ahead. That's kind of later in the week that that line <laughs> that Phil will eventually cross. So uh, so anything else for minute 61? I just wanted to mention that the 1971 Chevrolet C10 has a 352 barrel V8 in it. Very towy. Mm-hmm. Good, uh, good selection. For Phil to, to grab. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I also really hope that chasing Phil out of town doesn't put a damper on Buster's day, and hopefully he'll be able to still go out to eat with his family. <laughs> Is he, yeah, he may be too upset to chew after uh, <laughs> after these events. Is that... <laughs> One last thing that I noticed about this minute is about when Phil gets in the truck and drives away. The music comes in, and it's very Mission Impossible esque. Yes, mm, yes. And Which... I really love that, like the beginning of the action. This is the mission that he chose to accept, and it's great. Well, you could argue that the Mission Impossible music is very Groundhog Day esque because of the three year gap between the movies. <laughs> because Mission Impossible didn't come out till ninety six. Although you could argue that. The 1993 Groundhog Day music is based on the Mission Impossible music from the television show. Yeah, yes. that's what I was going to look up. Like, wasn't it a TV show? That music is old. Yeah. I think that... I think we can jump back and forth. It's that it's that <laughs> flute. I think it's that flute. that Because I'm listening through it right now, and you're right. That chase music, it's 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 it's, it's snares and it's flute. I feel like it's like, it's like the most... Is what's pulling that 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 nostalgia, yeah, that like the nostalgia, that memory. I mean, like, yeah, yeah, like I get because like, that raises the tension with that flute, that high note, and then, yeah, yeah. Well, that's yeah, that's a good observation. <laughs> I think there's, I think there's good chase music um, throughout all these the minutes this week. Though the thing it made me think of, I thought of the theme from Live and Let Die. 
You know, just kind of there's, yeah, the, the flute and, mm-hmm. um, I don't know, strings and piano. There's like some, there's a certain staccato to it around like second 44, 45, 46 when they're first, you know, when they're leaving town. And it's got kind of like, so I, yeah, I thought of uh, Sir Paul and Live and Let Die. And but... you love that reggae part you were saying the other night. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You're like, I absolutely. love when he just breaks it down. It's like, you, know, you got a job to do. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's um, I think that's my number three Bond theme, if I was going to rank them all. It is one of my favorites, Live and Let Die. Um, so how about, you know, so, so Rick and Julia, what do you think? Where would you rank Live and Let Die in the pantheon of, of James Ooh. Bond theme songs? Oh, that's a tough one because I really enjoy listening to the GoldenEye theme just because it's Tina Turner. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, You're a little biased. I am definitely a little biased there, but you also have to give some love to Nancy Sinatra for the Goldfinger song. Yeah. I feel like there's a bit of a theme. I'm sticking with Golden Eye, Goldfinger. Um, let's see. And then you've got Tom Jones who sang You Only Live... No, not no. He didn't do You Only Live Twice. He did um, Is it... Moonraker, yeah. right? No, Thunderball. Okay, Thunderball. wow. <laughs> 20-some-odd Bond films. You think I'd be able to keep them straight, but no. <laughs> Nancy Sinatra doing Goldfinger, Tina Turner doing Golden Eye, and... Tom Jones doing Thunderball. Those are kind of my top three in no particular order. And and I would probably put... Um, oh, gosh. What were we talking about? The Living Daylights? No, Live, uh, live and Let Die. Live and Let Die. Let die. I would probably put Live and Let Die underneath that top three. Mm-hmm. And then I really like AHA's The Living Daylights. Yeah. Down there at the bottom of the list is definitely going to be Madonna from uh dying on a day dying legitimately on a day. honestly forgettable and that's that why that's why you forgot it it's forgettable that one is so bad <laughs> i used to have a cd where i assembled all of the theme songs from the james bond movies and i had them all together to listen to in order and it was great uh, but yeah, you know was... once you get to that madonna and it's like oh wow that's just the worst pierce brosnan movie and the worst madonna theme song just Interesting. There okay. are moments in Die Another Day that I like. I really like that. It's like it's almost from a different script, where it's like mm. they're going serious, and like he came back from being in like North Korean prison, and, she, and it's like he's like really angry and tough. And you almost get that like that that Dalton rage, and yeah. then we yeah, you know, then we go to Halle Berry and we go diamonds in the face and you know, baloney. <laughs> <sighs> All right, so so Dave, your your top three um, James Bond themes. Um, I, I I do like Living Daylights. I I, I was I remember listening to that on loop. I definitely like Golden Eye. That's probably the f- that um uh we call it uh, uh View to a Kill. I like View to the Kill. Yeah, View to that uh, um, Duran Duran. Yeah, Duran Duran. That's a good one. Yeah. and I like I actually I I like uh Chris Cornell's for Casino Royale. Oh oh yeah, you okay. know my name. You know my I name think is what it's called. Yeah yeah. yeah. See, I go. More old, old school. Uh, number one, Goldfinger, and I, that was uh, uh, 
Not Sinatra. Nancy Sinatra. Shirley Bassey. Was Shirley Bassey. Wasn't Shirley Bassey? Was I saying it wrong the whole yeah, time? Yeah, yeah. Oh, Shirley Bassey. Wow. But uh, what did Nancy Sinatra do that? Yeah, Goldfinger. Did she? I, did she? I don't know if she did one. A, a Bond theme song. Let's... Oh, Sinatra. Nancy Sinatra. Did you only live twice? Ah, uh, okay, okay. Yeah, you only live twice. Yeah. So, so my James Bond fans can stop yelling <laughs> at their podcast. All right. <laughs> I stand corrected. Send your emails to. <laughs> Rick at Mad Max Minute, but uh, yeah. So my top three: Goldfinger, uh, The Spy Who Loved Me, um, which is I not a Carly Simon fan uh, at, of any type, but I I really love that theme song. And then I would put uh, Live and Let Die number three. Wait, you, oh, I'm sorry. You said License to Kill too? No, I didn't. Oh, I, I said that to myself. Then. You okay. said that to yourself. Okay, because I was um, like, you know, what? Oh, I was like, I had to throw that one on. I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Although the um from from you know something this century, the more recent Bond films, I think uh Skyfall, uh the the song Adele does is good. It's it's one I think it's one of the better. Not a you know, not a top three or top five, but it's a pretty good song. I, I honestly I cannot remember it. Okay. I'm sorry I can't. Alright. I guess it's not that memorable then. So since we're on the subject, I found a blog post from a website called High Snobiety, like high society, but high snob. <laughs> oh. And they actually ranked all 23 of the themes. Oh, there and you they go. put You Only Live Twice as number one, wow. with hmm. number two being Duran Duran's A View to a Kill, cool. and number three being Goldfinger. They don't put in... Hold on. No, wait, no. I just got to number four. This list is now completely null and void Uh-oh. because number four, they put Die Another Day. <laughs> really? Wow. Yeah, okay. Above Skyfall they... at number five. Did somebody fall asleep at the list? Jeez. Seriously. GoldenEye doesn't show up till number eight. That's baloney. No, throw this away. Burn it. Yeah, okay. Forget I even brought it that's, up. That's, yeah. If you want to edit it out, yeah. that's your prerogative. Because <laughs> I'm very... We're in an audio medium. You can't tell it on my face, but I am visibly disappointed by what I have subjected you to, and I am very sorry. Yeah, that's all right. You know. All right. So, well, and maybe, well, well, maybe they're they're maybe they're they're dancers because I know, like, as a standalone song, it's not that great that Madonna song, but it's really good to tango to. It's just it's got like just the right beat and cadence, so. Maybe I'll they're maybe they're dancers, it. and that's fine. Why, I'll just but, say fine to that. <laughs> fine. I hope somebody's happy dancing. Fine. All right. So now I'm. Yeah, I we're, it's, we're, it's, it's. I'm sorry. I brought us down this path, this road to this disappointment. <laughs> I apologize. You know what I need right now, man. I just need to come back for a nice chase. Yeah. So let's. Uh, let's are we? Let's wrap it up for minute sixty-one, and then we can come back tomorrow with clean palettes and just have a good old-fashioned exactly. American. Smash them up, car chase. Perfect. There you go. All right. So, Rick and Julia, we want to thank you for being with us today. And where can our listeners hear more of you? Our home on the internet is MadMaxMinute.com. You can also subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and TuneIn. You can find us on Twitter by searching at MadMaxMinute. Also on Facebook by searching MadMaxMinute. And you can find our listener page, MadMaxMinute, beyond microphone. Perfect. Now you guys are all over the place. We cast a wide <laughs> net. 
All right. So, well, that is it for us. Thank you, Rick and Julie. I hope you guys can, or you, you guy and gal can come back tomorrow for minute 62 and listeners, please come back as well. And so thank you for listening and we will see you tomorrow. If there is one. Did you smile at me? He smiled at me. Look at him. <laughs> I believe he did. Let them say your hair's too long. I don't care what you are.